0: This is Gil Manser with a special treat for our KRCB listening audience as we welcome the return of the truly original writer Ben Marcus to this afternoon's Word-by-Word Conversations with Writers show on North Bay Public Media, KRCB FM. Regular listeners should recall that Ben took time off from his job as a professor in Columbia University School of Arts a couple years ago to share insights into the familiar yet unsettling different reality of the North America detailed in his spectacular novel, The Flame Alphabet. Editor of the anchor book of New American Short Stories, Ben Marcus is the author of four books of fiction and has won many prizes, including a grant for the Innovative Literature from the Creative Capital Foundation, a National Endowment for the Arts, Fellowship, in Fiction, and three Pushcart Prizes. Since we last met, Ben was awarded a 2013 Berlin Prize and a Guggenheim Fellowship in Fiction, and a full professorship, we were just talking about. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much.
0: Ben's latest book is a collection of decidedly different short stories, unlike any others I have read. They have been gathered together under the title Leaving the Sea. Ben Marcus, welcome back to Word by Word.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So, I don't know quite where to begin because I've got about 15 possibilities. So, let's just start at the basic. Why this collection? Why in this order? And why these six different categories?
1: I have one answer to all those questions. It's <laughs> <laughs> a one-word answer. Yes. Uh-huh. I love short stories and I've always tried to write them. I've always wrestled with them and read them madly loved a real variety of stories from the very strange and unsettling or nearly indecipherable kinds of stories to the plain, clean, beautiful, traditional ones that Chekhov might have written. And so when I finished The Flame Alphabet, I realized I had more than enough stories to fill a collection. But when I read them, (laughs) I I had a lot of doubts. And so I Mm. tossed away most of those, at least for the purpose of a collection. And I set about writing new stories over the last two years. Uh, I love story collections as a reader. I think of Flannery O'Connor's Everything That Rises Must Converge, Dennis Johnson's Jesus' Son, the, the, uh, George Saunders' recent collection, The 10th of December. They're some of my favorite books. I think you can see the range of a writer. You can see a lot of distilled, concentrated attempts at making life on the page. And uh, if you don't like one so much, well, then there's another. Uh, So I didn't really second guess the desire to put together the stories. But then the question question that came up was, well, you know, which ones to put in? And once I saw that there were a lot of gaps, I just set about writing new ones. In-betweens. Yeah, and the gaps that I saw, I realized I'd written a lot of stories that were pretty dense and thick at the level of the language. They were they were strange. They might have been more puzzling and harder to read. And I realized, well, I haven't written so many that are a little bit more plotted, a little bit more transparent maybe that move faster. And I wanted just to try that to see what would happen. And uh, so the, early, the, the stories I put early on are in fact the newest. Yes. And you move your way sort of towards my <clears> – <throat> my past a little bit, but then we returned to something much newer again. A friend said to me, he said, you know, your writing can be difficult. It's, you know, some people have a friend of, said that yeah, to you. Yeah, really nice. Yes. Yeah, a lot well, of critics not, have said that to we're, you too. Yes. We're, we're not friends anymore. Yeah, well, okay. Uh, he said, you know, maybe put some of the – for lack of a better word easier stories early and lead lead people in and i don't know that i see any as easier or harder because i think some of the early stories in the book are very difficult emotionally i think that they at least for me they're hard to read they're they're upsetting they're disturbing and so and yet on the other hand they they do contain simpler language and i thought perhaps they would pull somebody in who was not uh, as familiar with let's say, a sort of denser literary language that might be harder Mm -hmm. to navigate, and perhaps then that reader could be drawn in and be able to experience these stories uh, slowly and led to the space that I wanted to create in the book. Right.
0: Well, there was a science fiction element in your novel, and I think there is as you go deeper and deeper in the book. And there's the use of words, how language is a, a tool for good or evil, for yeah. happiness or sadness, for joy or whatever. It's a weapon. It's a weapon, yeah. In fact, you—you, you, it's wonderful how you change the vocabularies in different stories. Having said this, it means that I can't read it the way I do a novel. I have to stop and think and take twice the time on a page that I would normally use, which is not a bad thing. It's just a different way of... Reading it, and, and you must be writing.
1: I agree that, uh, and it it does ask for a different kind of reading. This was just something that really fascinated me. I love sentences. I love the the notion of a sentence, this contained unit of language. Uh, and sentences can be very very simple. You know, or uh, six
0: pages long. Yeah, John threw the ball at the dog. I think. Uh, I think who was it? It was. Uh, Gosh, I kind of remember the first readers that had the little kids with the ball, with the doll. The oh, the doll. Dick and Jane readers. Dick and yeah, Jane, yeah, that's sure. Right.
1: And I think when you know when I was first writing stories, I well, I, I I just couldn't resist the 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 desire to really really tinker with sentences to kind of take them apart and put them back together, all kind of mangled and deranged to see to see them. I, I think as almost a little a little drug that you make. You make this little drug called a sentence and you shoot it into people and they feel things. And we can write these very simple sentences, which are enormously important in writing. They they take us to the next moment. And and I've discovered that the pleasure of a simple sentence a lot more recently in my career. But I do also love to really test the, the outer limits of what a sentence might be and what it might make us feel, what it might say. But then I know... Well, it's almost when you read that sometimes it's like reading a foreign language you don't quite understand or it's like it's and I think of it as English as a foreign language mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes. Right, exactly. Because it is in English and it does make sense. It just uh it uh, it makes it sense in in a kind of strange and roundabout way. But it is a part of what I love to do and therefore I felt it really belonged in the story. And I did start to think, you know, it almost doesn't depend on what uniform I put on when I go out to battle but because it's sort of the, the task or the mission is still the same. I start to think I could write a very conventional-looking story or a very strange one, but I'm maybe going down into the same cave and shining – this is a really terrible metaphor. I should stop. But, uh, I, I think in some so sense... So we're in a cave. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, Where no, we go? You've no. got to get us somewhere in this cave. No, we die in the cave. Okay. <laughs> That's it. It's very sad And we're sad buried story. and found in future generations. No right? one ever finds us. Oh, no one. No, we oh. never... We uh, we fossilize. Um <clears throat> So I, I I started to feel that no matter the technique, the style, the language, that in the end it's still me doing this these stories, and and that actually they they have a lot in common, and and so it, this the collection is a, I think about my different stylistic interests a little bit, but I'm hoping what's there also is oh well, no matter the style, he's still writing about family, and there's still strange, unsettling things happening, and it's... In the end, the goal still is to make people feel things. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And different things in different stories. Yeah. And parts of stories. Sure. Right. The one that's probably most accessible or at least was to me as a writer is your second story. It's called I Can Say Many Nice Things. And I found out it is one of your most recent ones. Yeah, it's pretty recent. Yeah. In fact, what I did to deconstruct this was a bit as I listed all the stories and then went through your, you know, notes pages and took out when they were first published. Oh, OK. So I could kind of get it. And I began to see this secret that the newer stuff was at the front. As yeah. As you said, more.
1: Yeah. Uh, but it's funny in a way because uh, – well, I'm reading a, a collection of short stories by a writer named Kyle Miner called Praying Drunk and it's coming out in a couple months. I have the galley and there's a very – it's sort of stern little note at the beginning that says you must read these stories in order. Really? <laughs> now, there must be something slightly ironic about this because obviously you can't control – what a reader does. And I realized, too, with a lot of the collections I love is I open them up in the middle. I sometimes hate to admit this, open them up in the middle of a specific story and sort of read a page and then go back. And then I think readers do very strange things. We're not policed yet. No one really. <laughs> they, they are in your future. <laughs> yeah. Though, no, oh, yeah. Yes. It's going to change. We won't be able to read as we like, I'm sure. But uh, so I did all this work to try to design the collection, to try to lead the reader through a little bit and maybe prepare them for something that might seem a little strange or more difficult. But, so let me but, stop you there.
0: You did this. Did you work with an editor on this or is this all your
1: – Unfortunately, uh, it was all we, me. All I mean I, I, I did discuss it with – my I showed the arrangement to my editor who then agreed that this was an interesting thing to try. But then – I quickly realized I can't control how people read this book and people could happily pick it up in the middle. So in the end, you do what you can to to design an experience for somebody. But but that's the specific – that's any specific story. I have all the control in the world. I put the words together in the order that I like. But people can read these stories out of order. So in some sense, my sequencing of them – is important, but also disposable. Okay, it
0: happens that uh, I read your stories out of order.
1: Yeah, right. Right,
0: for a variety of reasons. It's because I had the book and I was in different settings. I think that's but, you know I picked common, them up though. and I said, well, which ones? You know, I need one that's you know ten minutes long. I need one that's half. Now, a if you long.
1: if you'd had a note that said you must read these in order, would you have heated it? Because oh, absolutely I, I, the opposite. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. It's, yeah. It, it's it causes a problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and and the, and you didn't really. I guess it'd be interesting. I'm trying to think back over the stories. Would it was it important? They weren't done chronologically in real time. No. They weren't you at, you know, uh, a space in your life, you know, where you were trying to project a certain thing.
1: Yeah. Chronology on its own isn't that particularly interesting. It doesn't tell its own story, I don't think. And I I didn't want to focus on techniques so much and I wanted I, I wanted to pull people in and Expose them to the worlds I like to create and then lead them around a little bit and show some variety. But each story has to stand on its own in the end. Let's look – just for
0: our listeners, I want you to start um, with the opening part of the second um, story. I can say many nice things. And the setup, I don't think we have to describe because I think the opening will do that or at least I hope our listeners will pick up on it. But if you have been – if you are a writer – or I guess you're a quilter or a artist, and you've been to different activities where you learn about your craft, yes. you will instantly recognize this.
1: Start and stop. I can say many nice things. Fleming woke in the dark, and his room felt loose, sloshing so badly he gripped the bed. From his window, there was nothing but a hallway, and if he craned his neck... A blown light bulb swung into view, dangling like a piece of spoiled fruit. The room pitched up and down, and for a moment he thought he might be sick. The word hallway must have a nautical name. Why didn't they supply a glossary for this cruise? Probably they had in the welcome packet he'd failed to read. A glossary, a history of the boat, which would be referred to as a ship. Sunny biographies of the captain and crew who had always dreamed of this life. Lobotomized histories of the islands they'd visit. Who else had sailed this way? Famous suckwads from the past slicing through this very water on wooden longships. A welcome packet, the literary genre most likely to succeed in the new millennium. Why not read about a community you don't belong to that doesn't actually exist— A captain and crew who are in reality, if that isn't too much of a downer on your vacation, as indifferent to each other as the co-workers at an office or bank. Read doctored personal statements from underpaid crew members because ocean life pays better than money who hate their lives but have been forced to buy into the mythology of working on a boat, not a goddamn ship, separated now from loved ones and friends, growing lonelier by the second, even while they wait on you and follow your every order. And yet, when Fleming thought about it, this welcome packet, f***ed up though it was, even though he hadn't read it, most certainly had more readers than he did. More people for sure read this welcome packet than had ever read any of his books or stories. This welcome packet commanded a bigger audience, had more draw, appealed to more people, and the kicker understood its cherished readers better than he ever would with his sober, sentimental inventions of domestic lives he'd never lived unless that was too flattering a description of the literary product he willed onto the page with less and less conviction every time he sat down at his laptop. Maybe he'd actually learn something about writing if he read The Welcome Packet. Maybe in his class, he should he should instruct his students not to write short stories, but to write welcome packets. Any of you in there? Well, I've been teaching for over 20 years, <laughs> teaching creative writing, in fact. I've never taught creative writing on a ship. And in fact, for most of my life, I swore I would never write about the teaching of writing. It, it seemed like the worst kind of navel-gazing, sort of kind of uh, you know, insider baseball. It, it seemed uh, like something I just – like a kind of trap. And uh, maybe about a year ago, year and a half ago – I'd run out of things to write and I realized, okay, now what I need to do is go back to all the things I swore off, writing directly about myself, writing about my job, writing more directly from life, writing really conventionally, <laughs> all the things I just said I would never do. I, I sort of started to forget why I said I would never do them to some degree and thought, well, you know, yeah, why was I resistant to that? What exactly was behind that? And And so... Some of it yielded stories, some of that project of kind of revisiting all the things i 'd said no to yielded stories like this and uh, but but this guy, Fleming, this poor guy teaching a creative writing class on a ship he 's he's he 's really not me i 've been lucky and i 've had. Pretty committed, ambitious, curious students, hardworking students, and uh, I, I've for the most part really enjoyed it. You know, you see and hear some strange things though when you, you get a bunch of people together in a classroom. <laughs> and so, sure, it is personal in a way. Um, and I find there's, I can have different attitudes about teaching. I can feel this is the greatest thing in the world. I'm working hard to help other people. Think and write more clearly, more imaginatively. I'm I'm trying to be honest and as critically helpful as I can. In uh, other times, and maybe this is true about most any tasks, you know, a great sense of futility can set in, and I can think, well, this is a this is a waste of time, and this is a charade, and I don't believe anything I say. And part of this is because to. Presumed to be a teacher of of some art, artistic practice, is is very strange because I don't know anything about it that can necessarily really be communicated, or what I know is very slippery. It, uh, I know something for a little while while I'm writing a certain story, and then when I try to know that again, suddenly it's not true anymore. So all the rules are 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 very wobbly, and and so I start to feel worried about being an authority figure or even presuming to be about something like writing in front of others and students want an authority figure. So the story does come out of some of the anxieties I, I have, but I also wanted to make it funnier and meaner than anything I'd, you know, he's in the end, uh, not a, Really nice guy, I suppose. I mean, he's just trying a little bit, but I, I, I see him as very tired. He's yeah. seen it before, and it's yeah. going to happen again. And. Yeah, and and uh, and and his students aren't making it any easier. He's he's got some challenges, so uh, and he's of course got trouble at home. You know, when in doubt, when you are writing a story with someone, you know, give them trouble at home. Right, <laughs> it's really especially not, a long it's
0: distance like, between them. Yeah, yes, exactly.
1: Now, there is several
0: things that you touched in there. One is that you, as the authority figure as the one who knows the the answers, the shortcut to the, you know, what the success path will be, because you're at a prestigious university where people paid a lot of money to be there, and they're there thinking, you know, they've come in with a certain mindset, shall we say. Has that student mindset changed over the past 20 years in keeping in pace to how public, you know, the the standard way, you used to write a novel, you had to go through an agent, you had to go through, you know, the, find a a press, et cetera, et cetera, and all that stuff and rejection letters forever. Now, you you write something and you print it next week online.
1: Well, sure, but then how do you get people to read it? Ah. In some sense, yeah, I think the, the mechanical means of production have changed and... It's it's nice that there's something egalitarian about that, right? Anyone can publish anything they'd like, but even with a publisher and a publicist and a uh, you know a marketing team, it's it can be hard to get people to read things. You know, people seem uh, you know colossally resistant to reading anything, <laughs> so <Right. laughs> let alone something that essentially doesn't matter to their day to day lives or that they think doesn't matter, and that would be literary fiction. So. In 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 a in a in a basic way, the 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 means to finding a readership are, are pretty similar to what they were twenty years ago, um, and 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 the students I see who are succeeding are coming out of their p- the program uh, with their pages and finding an agent who finds them a publisher who then tries to help them find a readership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not seen any students self-publish and find a, a large audience. But, you know, I'm sure that's going to happen. Right. I and mean, it's happening certainly in music and, and other art forms. And so I think it's really just a matter of time. But it also does reflect the much smaller kind of audience pool for writing mm-hmm. than there would be for music.
0: One of the things which, of course, that brings up is the fact that literary fiction used to be a weekly, you know, it was in Post and yeah. uh, Saturday Post and sure. Look magazines and Playboy, et cetera, et cetera. Ray Bradbury, you know, famously starting in Playboy. And uh, you don't have that now. You've got – yours are in literary journals or magazines, which have a very select readership, subscription-based. They're trying to break it out, you know, by putting it with online, you know, ways to get to it. But it's still pretty much small press, limited production.
1: Well, there's the New Yorker and Harper's. Well, and, okay, yes, and, and uh, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned those. there. no, weird. well, but it is interesting. And if you have a story in the New Yorker, you do sort of notice that you really can physically notice the readership It's just much bigger than it might be in a, in a smaller magazine. And uh, but but the, those examples are few and far between. It's the New Yorker, it's Harper's, and But below that, or not below, but aside from that, the the readerships are smaller. And uh, that too, though, is what motivates me to want to put together a a collection of stories. I don't know. Someone said, well, so all of the stories in this book were already published. Why are you publishing them again? Right. It's because, well, actually, you can't very easily get these magazines. And to put them together is a way to— uh, let someone experience them all in all in one place. And so the fact that they've been in a small press magazine doesn't keep them from, in my mind, being eligible to be in a book.
0: Well, a couple were in what what they call folios, which is a short, I don't know, Yeah, 50-page long kind of thing or less. Yeah,
1: that's right. And one was a piece I did in collaboration with a visual artist and it was published as a limited edition. That was the story, The Father Costume, and mm. that is now out of print – but uh I want I felt that that would be something I'd like to put back in the story collection. So uh it's a way to put put a bunch of things between one set of covers so people can encounter them all at once. But but you're right, the the world of short fiction is a small one uh and uh you know even at a magazine like the New Yorker one senses that uh, the the short story is you know it's it's not the top of the heap there. Uh it's so terrific and fantastic that they that they do it. Um and you know it's it's and also i think that they're doing a great job because there's real variety mm-hmm. if you follow them week to week mm-hmm. real r- true artistic variety and you can you can encounter lots of lots of different exciting work there so yeah the sad sad world of short fiction
0: right right the
1: end <laughs> that
0: was a little piece we're going to put in the next <laughs> collection right yeah um Okay, so let me let me do a couple of things here. One of the things that we were talking about when we started out this story being on the cruise ship is there were – I think there are nine students who finally show up because a tenth one doesn't appear and there's some mystery about where that person might be. But I won't give that away. And um, the other thing is you have these traditional – someone's written a short piece that they share with the rest of the class and then they're critiqued yes. in class right in front of each other. Yeah, that's pretty common. Yes, And I assume that must come from a combination of ingredients of 20 years of teaching that you have, especially with the one that that appealed to me or stuck out was the young woman who was so sure of herself.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well... There certainly are students who have don't seem to experience doubt when it comes to their own opinions, but you know there are lots of people <laughs> all over this planet who don't ever experience doubt and uh One of the interesting things about teaching is let's say you've all read this same story by a student who's in the room and then he starts to talk about it it's suddenly as though everyone's read something completely different, and people are one person loves it, one person thinks it's offensive one and and part of the job one's job as a teacher is to choreograph this uh, variety of opinion and help the writer sift through some of it so that he or she might find something useful going forward in a revision and and in this story there are certainly students saying some pretty definitive and unhelpful things and and uh, cuz I think it can be kind of funny and uh to
0: if you're not the person receiving, yeah, this, sure, right. sure.
1: And generally, when it's your story, you sort of are cringing. And you, the, the the etiquette when someone's talking about your story is that you don't speak. You don't, you know, because if you start to protest, you know, someone says, "Well, I didn't really believe uh, that this kind of character, the the father in the story, I didn't really believe this character could really exist." And the writer said, "But that's based on my dad." You know, so writers are always wanting to. Claim authenticity and authority, forgetting that you well, you can't follow your readers home and say, "But this really happened." You have to believe it, and that's what's so uncanny. And I something I really love about writing is just because something happened, it doesn't make it believable when you write it down. <laughs> it's fantastic, that's right. you know. So the, the the onus is on you to. Sort of make things convincing, whether they happen or not, sort of irrelevant
0: there's what only a dozen storylines anyway
1: yeah, so but so so a student writer might believe because something happened to him or her that that, that it 's going to sort of have more intrinsic value and it 's a it 's a hard lesson to discover that well in fact it doesn 't and and in fact you 've written about something that matters a great deal to you, and people. Hate it, don't care about it, and also think it's untrue. <laughs> so it's sort of, it's so, so there are a lot of emotions flying around in a room.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to pick up one of this young woman's criticisms to this made up, you know, teacher. Okay. And the, the fact that she sees him as a sexist because his protagonists are all males and his women are like, you know, the Disney princess villainous. They're not. They're neither, in but not too much nuance.
1: This I is in say. the story. No, this is oh, okay. in the
0: criticism of your short stories. Oh, you haven't read that one? No, I don't oh, read. I don't read I them. Don't, that's a good idea. This is on Goodreads, so it's real accessible. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so you know, really it's a not review. a yeah. Okay, but it's a it's a reader. Okay. All right. So after I read that, let me. I think. Oh God! You're share. not going to read that to me. No, I am not gonna read that to you. <laughs> I'm going to say read this one, though. I'll read you another. This is from The Oregonian, which I think you may have read. Jill Owens read it. Uh, Ben Marcus can be difficult to read at times. He twists and torques his fascinating subjects, the human body, boundaries, language, familial relationships, particularly between parents and children, but often in his new collection, lovers and husbands and wives as well, into barely recognizable shapes, diagrammed and reported on by frequently self-loathing narrators. Words like fluids, rotten, and leak come up a lot. (laughs) That's nice. Well, I thought it's interesting because this cover is, you know, 13 years based on the 2000, you know, publication of the 2013. So I found that there was, in contrast, rather than a repetitiveness, there was a freshness, if you will, to each of the stories that they were not – it was, though, I don't know how you did this. I mean I applaud you for doing this. It sounds like I'm being fawning, but I, Thank but you. I am. I'll, I'll okay. take it. I will be fawed that you over. were able to approach them – obviously some were, shall we call a gimmick. You know, write this one sentence short story that goes on for six pages. Others you wanted to focus on, uh, I think, things that could have almost fit into the flame alphabet in a sense. Yeah. You, yeah. <clears throat> sure. Because they're – they they tie in where language has become this yeah. destructive act rather than an act of loving and um other ones which are like the one where the man watches the british mysteries with his mother right that is so universal i mean to anyone who's you know had an elderly parent that they've caregived yeah um it, i mean it immediately strikes a chord
1: yeah well, thank you.
0: So, in contrast to Joe Owens, I guess I, I, it's difficult, but in the end, worthwhile.
1: And when I was reading the stories that I'd written, I, I realized for for some of the work, a little goes a long way. And, uh, well, there's a story in there called First Love that I had some similar stories and I I just didn't want to, just because I was putting together a collection, put in everything I'd written. And so I wanted it to be very selective. And when I felt that I was done or at least had enough pages, I would read it all and think, okay, it feels very heavy in this one way. And, well, with that story, you you cited Watching Mysteries with My Mother. I realized I didn't have a story – that
0: now let me say you just said per first person there is that really what happened is that what no uh, no it's no okay
1: no the, did i say
0: i yeah you said watching i was watching mysteries cr- with no, my no the
1: mother. story's called watching mysteries oh, with my oh that's the mother. name of the I'm story i'm sorry yeah with that story so, watching sorry. mysteries with my mother right okay sorry yeah it it does also sound as though i was talking about yeah. my own experience um no my my mother's alive and um she, my mother does watch uh pbs mysteries but uh but uh I've I've rarely watched any with her.
0: On today's Word by Word, we welcome the return of the truly original writer, Ben Marcus, to North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Regular listeners should recall that Ben took time off from his job as a professor in Columbia University School of Arts a couple years ago to share insights into the familiar yet unsettlingly different reality of the North America detailed in his spectacular novel, The Flame Alphabet. Ben's latest book is a collection of decidedly different short stories, unlike any others I have read. They have been gathered together under the title, Leaving the Sea. We're in the middle of talking about Ben's short story, Watching Mysteries with My Mother, and he's going to read a brief excerpt, so stay tuned to KRCB-FM.
1: that story is is just one man sort of thinking through the statistical chances of you know when his mother might die and kind of worrying about it and and it, it's 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 in very plain unadorned language mm-hmm. it's simple mm-hmm. it's almost journalistic and in my mind and so i i really felt that would fit because of the denser stranger things i'd written and also it's really there's nothing odd about it. It's not fantastical or science fictional. So the writing of that did come out of a sense of feeling, well, I have not done that yet for this book. So let me try something and see. Can you read from that? I I want
0: people to hear the language. You can start right there and then stop where the next mark is.
1: If my mother knew that she only needed to survive for under an hour in order not to die today, would her chances of living increase? If I phoned her now and told her to hang on so that she didn't die today, would her odds change? In other words, does it increase our chance of survival if we consciously try to live? It wouldn't seem likely, not that she'd even pick up the phone now. It's late at night. She's tired. She was even tired at dinner. When we watched our mystery, she fell asleep. The phrase for people of a certain age, in certain circumstances, is nodded off. My mother nodded off. I paid her the courtesy of not seeming to notice, even though I watched her sleep under her blanket on the reclining chair she loves. I noticed how her hair no longer moves, not even a strand of it, no matter what position she's in. She woke up throughout the broadcast, and she actually grasped more of the plot than I did. It is possible she'd seen this mystery before. How long does it
0: take you to write something that long? Just that paragraph.
1: Oh, you know, something like that I could write in the time it takes to read it. I I can sometimes really write quickly, but then I go back and back and back. This story I wrote in about a week, uh, and I wrote a lot of it quickly, but I didn't quite know where it was going to go. And I also, I think I rearranged sections and paragraphs because it's not, it's not a story unlike some of the ones that come before it that really has a kind of a very clear trajectory or plot. It it does take place. It's a slice of life. It, it takes place on an evening when um, this man has spent the earlier part of the night with his mother and he's home thinking about her. So it's sort of set in that little specific moment, but it was hard to keep a kind of formal control to it so you didn't suddenly just spin off into somebody having thoughts, which is potentially just deadly territory in a story because, well, you you lose sense of where you are and what's happening and why would you keep reading unless the thoughts are you know, enormously compelling. But so I, I wrote this one relatively quickly. But that,
0: that question that's posed there, if someone consciously wills themselves to stay alive, yeah. does that work?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's a pretty. Uh, isn't that one of the universal questions of life?
1: Well, and later in the story, in fact, uh, he's thinking. Of, he admits to being worried about being at the end of his life in the hospital, or you know, one is urged to to hang on, right? And or when when someone dies, family members say, "Well, well, he fought so well. He really fought." And he he admits to being worried that he would has no idea what that would mean because the person fighting for his life is simply inert in a hospital bed. So this fight is something interior. And he admits that he has no idea how he's going to do that. Yet we have so much invested in this idea while well, she's a fighter.
0: And um, the contrast is a peaceful death is this thing to aspire yeah. to yeah. as well. Yeah, well, exactly.
1: That's right. So he's thinking through, in some sense, the logistics of dying. The death of his mother is inevitable. Um, he thinks that he, he reads a statistic that, uh, the narrator that if, uh, elderly people with companions live longer and he thinks, well, if that's true, then what about more than one companion?
0: Including pets. Right. Right. That's
1: right. And so he's like, well, if one companion increases your life, then why not two? And he starts to envision having this enormous, because actually this begins because he realizes by leaving her, this is really what the story is about by going back to his own house he is increasing his the chance that she'll die that by parting from her he's actually contributing to the acceleration of her impending death so there's a lot of guilt in this story i'm not saying any of this is true i'm sort of trying to give you a picture into what the way the narrator is thinking i of think this. that
0: depends on where we are in our state of life and yeah. being you know how we approach this story
1: but so he goes through a long reflection about how every time he says goodbye to her, he leaves her at the brink of death, closer to death than she was the day before. And he goes back through all the times he said goodbye, just when he went to college and, and even then, of course, this very night when he said goodbye to her. He leaves her just at the time when she's most more likely to die than when he first arrived. So some of it is a sort of he, he's, he's indulging these kind of logic games that they, they technically feel true. But beneath it all, I hope, is just this this sense of grief mm-hmm. for a death that hasn't even happened yet.
0: Uh yes. Right. Fortunately his mother is still cogent, though you could see someone who has sure. someone with, you know, advanced dementia who would be in that situation and he's already she's already said that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It'd be worse. The other thing I thought about after I finished this, this is this is the probably the one piece in here that I thought about the most. Oh, okay. Part of it is because my dad passed just in January last.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. And,
0: well, he was 104. And, yeah. you know, the peaceful, that's yeah. exactly how it was. So, um, but there had been a four years of, you know, ups and downs yeah. coming to that point. So I actually at one point saw him die, literally, you know, the flatline. We were in the hospital. He had a seizure. The Technicians run in. He had a DNR, do not resuscitate. All of the doctors stood back holding their arms in the air so no one would touch him. Beep. Beep. Came wow. right back. It's just like a TV show. That's amazing. Yeah. And he was another four years. So, you wow. know. Wow. Uh, the the point is, is that I was thinking about leave taking, you know, and I go back to the ones where you talked about, you know, the long boats when the man was on the on the ocean liner. Yeah. And how people would leave, you know, Europe or wherever they came from, Asia, you know, whatever. Uh, And they would say goodbye to their family, and that would be it. Yeah, goodbye forever. Forever. Maybe they'd get letters occasionally. Yeah. But mostly it was, I'm never going to see you again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: But they're still existing somewhere.
1: Yeah. 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 Well... You know, uh, in some sense, for me, a typical kind of story might keep out lots of reflection like this. There's, this, I can feel a kind of pressure to push characters forward, to make things happen. And in some sense, this story was a very deliberate way to just totally surrender to a character's thoughts, but to try to give those sh- thoughts a lot of pressure and force so that they would constitute a kind of plot that you didn't feel that you were just trapped in someone's head who's looking out the window admiring nature and thinking this and that and the other thing. It has a beginning, middle. A a kind of formal pressure. And so – and and I think going back years now, my natural urges are more expository maybe in storytelling and less narrative. I feel like narrative has come pretty late to me. And so – I had written some very narrative stories, and then I thought, you know, I want to go back and write something that really is just tr- it's the thoughts inside a guy's head, and see now if doing that now how it might feel different and what I might might try might try to produce. So, uh, my mother really does not like this story. I think that it worked then. <laughs> she she said, well she she just assumed it was no. her. <laughs> There's no. no way around that, and uh, she said, you just had made you, me seem and- so silly. I said, I don't know. I think the mother's like defiant and strong and interesting, and but yeah, <laughs> she and we never spoke of it again. Really, <laughs> yeah, she didn't like it.
0: So this is, the, I mean, this is probably the one story as I said that I I have thought about since I oh. read them. Well, thanks. The most, um, and again, it's what we bring in. It's just yeah, like sure. your, your students what of course. they bring in. Of course. The door in the first week and how they are and their armor that they've got on. Yeah. Their word armor. Yeah. Sure. Uh, which hopefully will change over the semester so that by the end of the time they're listening carefully to what the other people have to write
1: oh yeah and in my experience they they want to be better and they they very quickly realize that they can get in their own way and when you're defensive uh, people just start to back off in the classroom and then they stop offering criticism they stop trying to help you and you suddenly realize you're all well, you're alone again when really what you've you're there to hear what other people have to say. Mm-hmm. You can be defensive mm-hmm. to yourself, keep it to yourself, and uh, and still try to try to pick up other people's thoughts and see if there's some value there.
0: Right. Several of the writers' communities in Sonoma County have critique groups as part, you know, sure. adjuncts kind of thing. So you don't actually have to go and you know to university class to do this. No, that's there right. Are some wonderful yeah. continuing education things, and opportunities for
1: that. Yeah, and lots of former students of mine. Still get together, and uh, yeah, I think one of the best things you can do with uh, the two writers can do for each other is give each other really good, careful uh, readings and critiques. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find. Mm-hmm. You, know, you might have an editor at a publishing house who doesn't really have time to edit anymore. So it's really hard to find somebody who's going to read you very carefully and hold you to a very high standard and really give you some very helpful notes. Yeah, the problem is that sometimes you end up
0: with people who all want you to know, say good things about you. But you don't want to go to your mom and dad and your you know yeah. cousins and nephews because
1: yeah. – no, it's right. We, we, we It's nice to be loved and it's nice to be praised, but it's not often that helpful in settings like that. Um, yeah. And so in general, because I'm teaching in graduate school School, the students have worked through a lot of that and there's a lot that they, that they sort of understand and, and the best of them are just hungry for criticism and mm-hmm. they just eagerly just write notes while you're talking and, and just they, all they want to hear is criticism in a way they just lap it up. They've learned that they'd better get what they can out of this. Do you have someone who reads yours and you get
0: feedback from?
1: Uh, yeah, different people. My 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 wife Heidi Julevitz is a writer. We and, thank our
0: wives, don't we?
1: Yes, yes. and
0: uh, you you dedicated the book
1: to her. That's right. Yes. And uh, I have some writer friends that I show some things to, and then sometimes I might be working with a an editor on a story, who is often very helpful. The editors of the magazines who published these stories are, initially were uh, always very helpful. So I. I I try to vary it a little bit and, you know, I don't want to exhaust uh, somebody by giving them too much to look at.
0: What does your wife think about your
1: different styles, I guess we'll call them? Can we call them that? I don't know. We we should call her up and ask her. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I think in some sense, not to speak for her, but I would bet she says, you know, they're not all that different, that that actually they still sound like me. And I think part of part of the process for me to kind of find my way into this was to realize like, well, just because I might write in this other mode, it's actually still me. And we can't change our identities as writers. We can't just say, oh, well, I'm going to write a more conventional story and no one's going to know it's me. The fact is, I think... The language reveals us, and these these stories have all come from me and so, as writers, we have t- tools to tell our stories, and they vary, but in the end i don 't don 't know that <clears throat> uh, the stories let 's say at the emotional level, once you 're done with them, feel as though they were written by you know different writers so i 'm guessing she would just think they 're just kind of natural expressions of my own. Desires as a writer—that's still all you. Yeah, I mean it is, right? It's right. so, uh, and and it also reflects my interest in different kinds of stories. I, I think I, I just had realized, well, I've done a lot of this one kind of thing, but I I want to keep writing. I'm not just going to keep writing things I've already written. So then, what should, what should I do? Mm-hmm. And I've always read more conventional stories. I always loved the best of them. And so it, it it sort of felt like a very natural decision to just explore different ways of, of telling stories.
0: Now, you are in the School of Arts at Columbia.
1: Yes. Now, is
0: that different than a journalism school or a it is. creative writing? Columbia
1: has a journalism school. The School of the Arts at Columbia is a graduate school that has writing film theater and visual arts wow. so you can go there to be a painter a sculptor uh, or you can be a filmmaker uh, you can go to an acting program you can study fiction poetry literary nonfiction, which in itself is different from journalism and across the way at columbia is the journalism school and so it is a Completely different place, different Mm -hmm. faculty, Mm -hmm. different students. uh, No overlap at all, which is actually sort of a shame. I mean, it'd be nice to occasionally overlap, but uh, no, it's a totally different enterprise. So you are, you are. I'm trying to think of the right word for
0: this because word choice for you is so critical. Better get enamored (laughs) with words, in love with.
1: Sure, but understatement, right? I mean, I, I, I. and I would think it's that that kind of thing is true, really, of any writer, right? You're someone who believes that putting language together will make people feel things. Mm-hmm. So sure, I, I I absolutely am. I'm I'm also awed and baffled by language. I really don't understand it. I don't know why putting words in a certain order will suddenly make me feel things I never felt before. And that kind of thing is uh, very compelling to me. And I I want to do that. And you know, create feeling in others, and so that's yeah, that's why I write uh i think it's 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 hard to have very deep, complex feelings and sensations and and it's you know it's it's easy for me to sort of <clears throat> feel a little bit less to sort of get through the day, you know and to, to take things for granted to stop really examining things, to stop wondering and stop. Feeling awed and amazed, and and in some sense, writing is a way to refresh my feeling of being in a very, very strange, mysterious, worrisome, amazing, troubling world.
0: One of the uh, the moors is the last story. Yeah which is uh, a fascinating one because I had just seen the movie Her. Have you seen that? I have not. You really should. I I, recommend it's on it. my list. I, w- I, I would love to see it. I'm so sorry. I've, talk I've, about a little I've bit.
1: I've been out of the country uh, in, in Germany, and, and I've not seen any movies. I'm very behind.
0: Right. Basically, and I'll have you read the opening so we can hear this, but Thomas is a he self-described overweight um, reclusive man who tries to avoid conversations. Yeah. Yeah. But let's go to that. Sometimes you can't,
1: just right here. Okay, sure. Thomas and the colleague had been refilling their coffees at the same time because he'd failed to calibrate his advance on the self-service beverage cart. Thomas's mistake, like most of the behavior he leaked into the world, had been avoidable. To join another human being in a situation that virtually demanded unscripted spontaneous conversation, and thus to risk total moral and emotional dissolution. Death by conversation, and all that. Entirely avoidable. After all, he'd seen the colleague approaching, a hand-painted mug dangling from her finger. Thus the peril of a bald, unpoliced encounter with her could not have been more glaringly clear, and the blame was squarely in his corner. Possibly it was the way the colleague glided shamelessly past Thomas's desk. What is it called, he wondered, when you provoke feelings of inferiority and general shittiness in others simply by the way you walk? When your mode of personal locomotion, in its devil-may-care mastery, serves as a scold to everyone fat and moist and ingloriously failed, sitting in their chairs, tired, swollen, and angry? The warnings didn't matter— The colleague flew past his desk, flaunting how alive she was. He could smell her superiority and sheer you will never have me ness the bottled freshness that had shrouded her in a twister of perfume. Can one copulate against such a column of wind, he wondered? Are there handholds? And Thomas, triggered by scent and irritated lust, swallowing a powerful urge to dry heave, sprang after her as if she was a vehicle he suddenly needed to board, Despite knowing or not knowing vividly enough that he'd only have to wait behind her at the coffee cart and worry the air with his oversized body, with this, you you love that, you like that? I actually find it almost unbearable. I mean, it's just—is uh,
0: it seem too heavily written?
1: No, 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 no. It's just just a uh, poor guy. Oh, I've you, I've, you. I've put I've put the guy through the ringer in this story, and you know. It's a long story. I don't know how forty, fifty pages. Yes, it is. And essentially, it's just about this guy following his colleague to the coffee cart and freaking out yeah, really someone, badly in his mind. Someone
0: wrote uh, it was uh, basically a, a lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh yeah, yeah, in his brain, you know, right.
1: But uh, you know what? What first Sexual interested? On the job. What first interested me about the story is the amazing tension between you know just this, all the stuff we think that you know we we would never reveal that that. I'm not saying that I have this sort of the, the depth of this this his kind of demented interiority, but the this tension between our insides gonna, and you, our outsides. You were
0: outsides. a teenage boy at one time, weren't you?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he goes pretty far, though. But on the other hand, what's interesting <laughs> is he's just st- presumably just standing there. And yeah. All, everything, waiting for the car. Everything is inside his head, and and uh, I don't know. That's something that's really really fascinating to me. Just the. The, the insanity that can be inside a body contained. You have got to see her. Okay. Okay. Think of this story when. All right. You, when I will. I all will.
0: Right. I, I I will go. Right I, out I recommend and that to all my listeners. Go and see her. It's on the Oscar list. One of the I'm nine excited.
1: Shows. I see all of his movies. I can't wait. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, let's talk about some quite different things here. Is there are are there any of these that are your babies that you really really love? Above the others. I mean, you know, it's like children, you never have one that you love more than the other, but there may be some that were harder or flowed more easily or what?
1: I try not to think that way because to be honest, I don't go back and reread any of them. And uh, I'm sort of a little afraid. And, uh, you know, I think like a lot of writers, I just outgrow these stories and they, they end up. Looking like rebukes a little bit because I see lots of shortcomings. But but on the other hand, the good thing about that is then it makes me really want to write something new to sort of correct all the. So
0: you didn't re-edit any of these?
1: Oh shows? I oh I did just mercilessly. Yeah, I was sure. Saying, it sure. was very difficult. And and the re-editing is when I, yeah, certainly preparing them for publication. But once once that's done, I I don't see a lot of reason to go back and reread. But that said, the story of the father costume has always been a little bit dear to me. Um, I just feel that I, it, I, I was really trying a lot of things I'd never tried before. It's, it is a difficult story and, uh, it's, uh, it's quite strange, but it's, it's just one that has always mattered to me. And I was excited. This was one that was published in a limited edition art book with mm-hmm. paintings mm-hmm. by an artist named Matthew Ritchie. Can tr- we see those at
0: all? Well,
1: yeah, so the book's out of print now, but, but there, it is, you know, it's, you can get it used and there's images online. Sure. Okay. And, uh. But so I was, I was excited to be able to put that story in this collection just because that story never even came out in a literary magazine. So my normal audience might you know, I've never seen it. So maybe I would choose that one. But um, Do you want to tell a little bit about the story? Do you want to read a little from it? Uh, to, it's
0: basically, as I recall, it's a world of water. Yeah. Uh, what you wear changes how you approach the world.
1: That's right. There's,
0: the language has a different thing. It's called forecast.
1: Well, you've got, a, you've got it down, yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. It's about... Two boys who are sort of taken in a very strange world, who are taken out on the water by their father and one of them – something happens to one of them. And it's a, it it's very much a story that tries to get into the, the kind of the fear and awe of childhood. But it's very otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Nothing is what it seems. No, it's like a science uh, fiction. There's a sort of gun that shoots writing onto walls and there's a lot of very, very strange things. But there are things in the, the way the sentences – were composed that that were really interesting to me at the time. God knows what they are now but uh, it was just something that was exciting for me to try to do. Well that's good.
0: Yeah. Is there anything you want to say to our wannabe writers out there? Now you've got 20 years of experience behind you. How do you distill that down into less than a minute?
1: I think somehow writing for your own reasons, writing for yourself, writing uh, the kind of thing you would love to read. Uh, is a a really interesting thing to try. Instead of sort of guessing what others might like, trying to kind of emulate something you see out there that you think is real writing, the fact is there's something unique to each of us. It sounds like an old saw, but it it is true. And I think writing starts to thrive when it's done in a language that's just peculiar to us. Um, And sometimes... Beginning writers take on a sort of overly formal note when they work. They they seem to think that they need to write in something called that they think of as literary language. And sometimes it's revelatory to write a story in a language that you might use if you're just telling it to a friend. Just think of it as the sort of word language you might use if you're just telling it to someone you know. And don't think you have to fancy it up because that's what real writing does. So, in other words, trying to make something that connects to your own instincts, to the way you hear language in your head, c- can, can help. But it's, it's a struggle. It's hard. And it's hard to ever know that you're achieving something that someone might want to read. But, but I think it's a worthwhile struggle.
0: It certainly has been a worthwhile struggle in the things you put together. The short story collection is called Leaving the Sea Stories by Ben Marcus. Look for it. I'm sure you'll find something in there that you'll really remember.
1: Thank you again, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: We welcome the return of the truly original writer, Ben Marcus, this afternoon on North Bay Public Media's Word-by-Word Conversations with the Writers. Ben's latest book is a collection of decidedly different short stories unlike any others I have read. have been gathered together under the title Leaving the Sea, a collection you should search out and savor at your own pace. Our studio engineer for Word by Word is Mark Fuller. Our station manager is Robin Pressman. Our theme music is by Bill Conti. And I am your host, Gil Mansur. We invite you to join us on Sunday afternoon, March 1st, from North Bay Public Media Care CBFM, when our show will include some of the writers and directors involved in the 7th Annual Sebastopol Film Festival. Until then... I suggest you consider creating an enjoyable and perhaps slightly naughty way to celebrate Valentine's Day.